This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. that I find simultaneously disappointing and not surprising at all. A majority of American adults would not be willing to serve in the military were the U.S. to enter into a major war. I'll give you the numbers and I'll tell you my take on this, uh, but I'd love to know what you think the cause of this is. And I suspect we're going to have a, a, a bunch of different opinions on this. I'll give you my take. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. So recent polling has found that while public confidence in the armed forces appears to be waning, the figures comes as all branches of the armed forces have in recent years struggled to meet their recruitment targets. This suggests a tremendous apathy towards a career of military service. Last year, or this year, excuse me, the Army and Air Force fell short of their respective goals by around 10,000 recruits, while the Navy was under by 6,000. Since 1987, the number of active duty personnel has fallen by 39%. Now, that in and of itself isn't necessarily... Disastrous because there are more combat operations that are done by things like drones and other aspects of automation. But the experts that study this stuff say that these sort of shortfalls are incredibly worrisome in an increasingly volatile global picture with American leadership completely unsure when it will next have to bring its full military force to bear. Look, is it un, unfathomable that we could have troops involved in the Middle East situation? I don't think so. Is it unfathomable that we could have boots on the ground? I hate that term, boots on the ground, because you forget that there are people in those boots. Is it unfathomable that we could have people in the involved in the Eastern Ukrainian or the Eastern uh, European situation with Ukraine and Russia? I don't think so. And what about this looming Russian or excuse me, Chinese hostility towards Taiwan? Is it unfathomable that we may seek to have a military engagement there? So uh, I don't think the answer to I think the answer to all those questions is no. So we have strike groups, aircraft carriers with Marines outside Israel right now. We're funding two wars, but when it comes to actual troops, we're already involved in a lot of different places around the globe. So this is a very tumultuous time for us as a country because we don't know what's going to happen. The How much it matters depends on what kind of people you're talking about 
and which bit you're not getting. So while infantry recruits could be trained in a matter of weeks, the same's not true for other roles. You know, let's say the Navy misses recruiting targets for an extended period. So there's a lot of complex factors contributing to the military's recruitment issues. I'm curious why you think there is such a problem with military recruitment. And it's particularly acute among young people. 800-848-9222. A poll by the research institute Echelon Insights conducted just last month, found that 72% of those asked would not be willing to volunteer to serve in the armed forces were America to enter a major conflict, compared with 21% who would. The remainder were unsure. And that poll was conducted after Hamas launched their terrorist attack on Israel. So I think that that's accurate. And I'll tell you why. My view is, I think this has to do with America over the last 20 years, especially getting involved in too many military conflicts that most Americans don't see as affecting them. But I think you could probably go all the way back to Vietnam and have that same exposition in World War Two, when it was clear that the stakes were very high and that America was going to be a participant in this conflict, whether it wanted to or not. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, you couldn't stop people from volunteering. This was even before the draft drafted a whole bunch of people that weren't willing to volunteer. There were lines around the recruiting station because it was very clear, at least the perception anyway, that America had a role in this conflict. In Vietnam... It's a bit bit less clear. In Iraq, much less clear. So I think you've now had multiple generations of people essentially growing up thinking, why should I join the military and potentially die to fight someone else's war? I think this is a direct result of American military interventionism. I'm curious... What you think? 800-848-9222. So at the start of October, there was a survey of a 1,000 likely voters conducted for the Daily Mail. And it found that while an overall majority of Americans said they would die fighting for their country the if the U.S. were invaded, when broken down by age, the sentiment was lowest among those who were 18 to 29 years of age. Meanwhile, a Gallup poll in June found confidence in the military declined for a sixth consecutive year to 60%. Why do you think people are so down on the military? I don't think it's simply a uh, a function of people not being patriotic anymore. I know that some of you may be uh, subscribing to that view. I- I'm not going there. I don't think that's the case. I see a lot of patriotism. I really do. And I don't think it is necessarily tethered to one political movement or another. I just think that people don't want to die in someone else's war. I think that is a big part of it. Newsweek did an article on this, and it chronicled uh, someone named Eustace, who served in uh, 26 years in the Minnesota National Guard, And um, Eustace noted that young adults were the military's prime target for new recruits, the current Generation Z, or those born after 1997. 
and argued that growing up in the Internet age made them used to immediate gratification. See, that I can buy. I can buy that. Let's see. If you're born after 1997, what are you, 26 now? Yeah. So if you're 26 or younger, I can buy that you've come up in an age where you're used to just thinking of something and clicking, and then it's at your door in the form of an Amazon delivery a day later. You can just think of a song, type it in, and it comes up on your uh, iPod immediately. You can just speak a film into your remote control, and it comes up on your television screen uh, within seconds. Gone are the days of waiting for your favorite toy, waiting for your movie that you wanted to see to come out, waiting for the next season of your favorite TV show, and week after week, what's going to happen? Those days are largely gone. And you have now a whole generation of young people, Generation Z, that didn't grow up with that. So I, I do think there's something to be said that that generation is not necessarily enthusiastic about devoting themselves to a period of time, even if it's three years, that is about something other than self-gratification, a cause greater than themselves. So um, I'm curious what you think. They, they say part of this also might be an adverse economic environment, which is something that I hadn't considered. Let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. Military is not meeting its recruitment goals, and the polling suggests that even if the country were invaded, the group that would be least likely to volunteer to join the military are 18 to 29-year-olds, which are the most important age group when it comes to all this because they're the ones that are being recruited and they're the ones that would fight the next war. Speaking of the military, and I'm going to take your calls on that in a moment. There's two open lines at 800-848-9222. I did want to, I had this on my list for the last two days and I didn't get to it. So I want to, I want to make sure we get to it today. Um, the mainstream media's favorite neocon, Nikki Haley, made a comment in the recent presidential debate that has gotten a lot of attention that I took note of at the time. You remember Vivek Ramaswamy made a crack about her heels, which uh, I think was totally, uh, you know, unnecessary. He didn't need to do what he said, say that, even though I agree with him more on foreign policy than hers. But that's beside the point. I thought it was kind of classless. And uh, Nikki Haley responded. This is what she said last week at the debate. I wear heels. It's not for a fashion statement. It's because if I see something wrong, we're going to kick them every single time. So actually, that was not the uh, clip that uh, I was talking about in the uh, in the debate. So what she said in the debate was that she wears heels not for fashion, but for ammunition. Now, the thing that I that I don't understand is what that means. And we're going to try and get that. Uh, we'll, we'll try and get that audio if we can. But she apparently has used this line before. So um, Dick uh, Vic, Vivek Ramaswamy made a comment about Nikki Haley being Dick Cheney in three inch heels. She responded, I'd first like to say they're five inch heels and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. This okay, fine. The second thing I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're they're for ammunition. Now, and then she tweeted that as well. And the thing that I don't understand is what that's supposed to mean. What does that mean? They're for ammunition. Does that mean you're going to use the heel as a bullet? 
Does that mean that you're keeping bullets in the heel? And apparently I'm not the only one that is uh, surprised by this. Megyn Kelly on her show, who I think is very, you know, astute when it comes to analyzing what politicians say, she said her comment didn't make any sense to her either. I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. I don't get it. What mean? I don't understand what she means. I don't. Like, you have the entire maybe, time to think of a response, and that's like what they're saying. a weapon. If you said they, I could use them as a weapon, okay. I, I've seen I single white female boom into the eye. <laughs> I got it. Ammunition? I don't. It didn't it land for make me. Any sense? It didn't make sense. So I'm glad that she replayed the clip there because um, I, I didn't have it handy. So what do you think that means? Because I'll be honest, I don't get it either. When she says, "I wear heels," they're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. When she says, I wear heels, they're not for a fashion statement, they're for ammunition. What does that mean? I'm not saying, you know, and again, I, I don't care whether you're the biggest Nikki Haley fan of the world or whether you're the biggest Nikki Haley detractor in the world or whether you have some view that's somewhere in between. I'd just like to know what your interpretation of that comment is. I'd also not like to know why you think... Um, there's a lot less enthusiasm among young people for joining the military. My contention is it's a combination of how uh, generational self-gratification and the seeing the military get involved in all these foreign conflicts that Americans of all ages perceive as not having a direct benefit to them. And uh, if you want to comment and explain to me what Nikki Haley's comment means, I'd love to hear it. 800-848-9222. I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. Let me begin with Louis in New Jersey. Hello, Louis. Good evening, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. So I was thinking about your uh, question, and I don't usually call. It's like third-time caller. Thank you for answering. Well, great. I was Thanks in the me. Army. At... Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you. I was in the Army for uh, four years. The Air Force for six. Served in the war. And what I find is when I was younger, I had uh, G.I. Joe cartoons, G.I. Joe action figures, John Wayne, all this stuff that in the 70s, 80s showed us uh, how the military was great and how important it was. And when I see my nephews and nieces now, there's almost nothing of action figures or anything to do with the military. Like in high schools, they actually kick ROTCs out a lot of times. So I think it's more of there's no interaction. And if there's no interaction, nobody really wants to join. Well, I mean, I'm thinking it's an interesting theory, and it's one that I hadn't thought of, and it's one that makes sense, and I'm just kind of thinking about it now for the first time. But what about something like Top Gun? Wouldn't you consider that as a film that was was popular, a lot of people saw, and that did paint a military career in a favorable light? I feel like that's in the tradition of a lot of old-school military, like rah-rah, pro-military pop culture. Exactly. Top Gun 2 came out, and it was hugely popular. But that was it. Can you name me another military movie in the years that has come out? Well, again, uh, not off the top of my head, I'm thinking of uh, American Sniper, which I do think right. put, play, put the military in a, uh, in a positive light. But, um, you know, I think uh, maybe 13 hours as well. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, you know, I, I'd need to give it some thought. But that's an interesting theory, Louis, and what's one I hadn't thought of. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Lisa in Brooklyn. What do you think, Lisa? Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, I feel a lot of the young kids, and not all young adults, but a lot of them, they're busy smoking pot, 
drinking and partying all day, and things come very easy to these young kids. If they can't get it, you could steal it. I'm not saying all, okay? I'm saying a lot of them. It's a different world than years ago when I'm 58. I had family who was in the military. They wanted to make something of their life. They went. They became surgeons. They fought for their country, and now they're doctors, and they perform surgery. I don't think our young generation has that goal to become something and fight for something that they believe in. And then, you know, they get rewarded also by becoming something. And also, it's too much wokeness in the military now. That's another reason. So you you think, I feel like you're saying a few different things, uh, Lisa. But so um, the last point that you just made. Do you think the reason – so the first point that you made I feel like is a bit different from the second. And, and you know, they could both be right. They could both be, you know, factors as to why fewer people are joining. So on the one hand, you think that the current Generation Z, the 18 to 26-year-old, they are busy with other priorities. You said goofing off, smoking pot and doing things. And Stop, people – Right, yeah. understand. And then some of the people that – would not be in that category of goofing off. They're turned off by the level of wokeness in the military, and that's why they're not joining? Yes, yes. I have a friend whose son is in the Army right now, and he went to Afghanistan, and now he's home, thank God. I mean, he's not home. He's in South Carolina, but he's in the reserves. So, God forbid, there is a war. He does not have to fight it because he fought already in the war before. Um, but what I'm trying to say is he said it's a different feeling. He doesn't feel that support the way he did when he first joined. That's what I'm saying. Interesting. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Let me try and get a few other people in here before we run out of time. And uh, let me tell people what's coming up. In about 10 minutes, we're going to talk with Joshua Spivak. Joshua Spivak is an expert in recall elections, which I am a big believer of. I, I love recalls, and I respect people that disagree, but uh, I like a recall. I wish that there was an ability to recall an elected official like George Santos or Bob Menendez, for that matter. I think the idea of expelling politicians when when they're elected is it's loathsome to me. Uh, who is the U.S. Senate? Who is the House of Representatives to substitute their judgment for, for mine as a voter? But if the people want to make the decision to remove somebody, I think that's great. But he's an expert on this. He's going to tell us where recalls happen, how they've worked out, and we'll pick his brain on a few other items as well. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, David. Listen, uh, Frank, thank you. Uh, you had a tradition, the people whose uh, uh, members of their family were in the service, that meant a lot to a lot of people. The first thing they'll tell you, my grandfather did this, that, that meant a lot to them. I mean, just to correct you of something, the draft went in in 1940, and a year later they went to war. You had a universal draft in 1940, get everybody ready. right, Dave. All I was saying was that even without people that weren't drafted in December of 1941, oh, they, they were they in. were they were enthusiastic to volunteer to join as well. We were attacked. Yeah, now that's what we I'm got saying. A different yeah. ball game. We're not being attacked. Did they care what's going on in Iraq? 9/11. I bet those years with 9/11, you had different numbers for at least a few of those years, maybe that decade. But it, it, it just shows that they're not willing to. Also, 
the service doesn't provide them with some education too. They they do this in the service, they'll they'll get a, a career or a profession after. They they they're not getting that, e- and the pay is just. That's another thing. So you think the financial the financial incentive yeah, is not there? Part of it is that. Part of it is the future of it, and part of it is the, the direction. What, what do they say doing? It's not even anti-American. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Yeah, and, Dave, and, and there's I, I nothing, think... no patriotism into doing these little wars here, a little war there. There's nothing to yeah, it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree way. with you on that, Dave. Thank you. I, I just think when people see, uh, you know, why should I die to liberate Iraq? Why? So Iraq can elect a government that looks almost exactly like Iran? I... I, I I I think that is a huge factor. They do still pay for your education. And under Jim Webb, when he was in the Senate, he actually had an expanded GI Bill. But uh, I think your point on the financial incentives is a good one. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe we need more competitive wages in the military. One issue that we've covered before is the fact that uh, so many young people are out of shape. They're too fat to even join. So one of the things that the military is doing is they are liberalizing their standards in terms of what your measurements can be for you to join, which I thought was interesting. Igor or Igor is in New Jersey. Hi, Igor. Yeah, greetings, Frank. I agree that uh, the reasons you you had put forth are certainly valid. I also think that military recruitment tends to go through cycles, and that goes with how hot the job market is and what other opportunities there are for young people to get jobs. The the job market is still very hot, and I think it, it leads towards them having alternatives. And, and we don't maybe see that as much in the tri-state area, but there are parts of the country where that's a really big deal. So you think if there was an economic downturn, let's say, we would see military recruitment see an uptick? Absolutely. Interesting. Yes, I Interesting. Agree. Thank you. Hey, Frank, you have some insight into what Nikki Haley's comment means? I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. What does that mean, Frank? Yeah, it means that she's mean. Like, she won't take any bull from, uh, you know, maybe Putin or, uh, you know, any other. Um, um, and and there, there's another uh, I wanted to add about uh, the military. Imagine um, the... Um, the, the 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 number of of people who will join their um they, to rebuild to rebuild in peace which is the main objective of profiteering for military and um and that um you know uh, it, 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 these people are in bad shape i mean they're coming here expecting and and it's costing us so much well uh, the main objective is peace. And I'm disappointed that when you call out for peace, we're being accused of being um, anti-Semitic. Uh, where I love Jewish people and I am backing Israel. But here's the question for you, um, Frank, is why aren't we going and weeding them out in Qatar? Q-U-A-Q-A-R. Right, I know how to spell Qatar. When you say weeding yeah. them out, you mean Hamas? 
Hamas, of yeah. course. Hamas yeah. are the Hitlers. Frank, uh, Frank, it's above my pay grade. I'm going to have uh, Colonel Daniel Davis on this program on Monday morning. I will pose that, among many other questions, to him. We're going to talk recalls and more with Joshua Spivak in just a minute. He is uh, a real expert when it comes to all things politics, but especially the world of recalls. Yeah, we'll, those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you throughout the hour. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Taylor Swift, who now has at least one reporter that is full-time for Gannett covering her. She might be the most important person in the world right now. She's revitalized sports, the economy, movies. You know, I heard a very interesting thing recently, is that if you wanted to put an end to the baby bust, if you wanted to create a baby boom, all they would have to do was get Taylor Swift child, which I thought was very interesting. All right. um, We have seen no shortage of politicians behaving badly. In the Northeast, two of the ones that we've heard a great deal about over the last year especially have been Congressman George Santos from New York and uh, Senator Bob Menendez, who's now under criminal indictment and who's planning to run for re-election Next year, I thought in the case of especially Santos, who clearly sold himself to the voters as someone that he was not, wouldn't it be a great thing if we had the ability to recall this guy and collect petitions and have folks vote on whether he should be recalled the same way that they did with uh, Gray Davis in California when Arnold Schwarzenegger ultimately became 
governor. Now, in spite of what the different state laws are, which we're going to get to in a minute, no state can pass a law that allows you to recall your congressman because that's a federal office and there are very specific ramifications and specifications about who can sit in the House and in the U.S. Senate. In my view, there should be. Uh, I, I don't think we're likely to see a constitutional amendment along those lines anytime soon. But it also caught my attention because in the recent election, there were a couple anyway of pretty interesting recall elections. And it got me thinking, what is recall? How did we get it? How was it used? What's the story? And I found the greatest recall expert in America, Joshua Spivak. He is a senior fellow at the Hugh L. Carey Institute at Wagner College, which I think I'm actually on the advisory board uh, of, by the way, but I haven't done much advising in all candor. The, he's also the author of Recall Elections from Alexander Hamilton to Gavin Newsom. He also has a terrific blog on this subject. It's the Recall Elections blog. Joshua, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Joshua, give us the uh, Reader's Digest version of the history of recalls in America. where they come from? How long have they been around? So, in some ways, you could trace it back all the way to the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1631, um, and perhaps earlier for Native American tribes, even. But uh, the recall existed Barely in the constitutional era, in the uh, colonial era, in it was in the Articles of Confederation government where they could remove the state government appointed a uh, an official to serve in the Articles of Confederation government, and the state government could remove them, which is a form of recall. They never did. Uh, in the Constitutional Convention. Recalls were discussed, were voted on. It was actually in the Virginia plan, which is effectively the original draft of the Constitution. And it would have affected the first House of Congress, which is the House of Representatives. Mm. Uh, At that time, they voted it down. It didn't come back until the end of the convention when they were discussing it for senators. And Alexander Hamilton was very passionately opposed to this. This was one of the things that the anti-federalists, the opponents of the Constitution, were touting, that there was no recall for senators. And at that time, senators were appointed by the state legislature. So uh, it was a slightly different procedure, you know, somewhat different, but at the same time, it was a recall of that official. Uh, in the end, they decided not to do that. And there was some discussion and a few years afterwards, and then it dies. The subject kind of completely goes off the table until the progressive era. And uh, this is not the modern version of progressive era. Right. It's the other progressives, uh, Teddy Roosevelt is the most famous person uh, aligned with that movement. Um, and it, it's also somewhat of a mystery. I found uh, somebody found a charter for San Diego that said it was in 1889, though all contemporary sources say it really came back in 1903 in Los Angeles uh, and then 1908 statewide in Oregon and 1911, most famously in California. And then a number of states adopted it, mainly in the West and Midwest. 
the eastern states did not have it and still have it somewhat less, significantly less than the western states. So really the, um, the turn of the 20th century is when it started getting some uh, traction in the United States. That's not that long in the grand scheme of things. Right, right. So for the 18th century, for the 19th century, it's just not there. Um, it is an international phenomenon. Most people think it's just America. I guess that's how we think of things in America. But in the in this century, three presidents, including uh, Mexico's president in 2022, faced a recall vote. None of them were removed, but mm. still, it's it's kind of interesting that they have this power. Uh, what's quite interesting about recalls is that they are, uh, there's a lot of variety in the use. There's a lot of variety in how they work. Um, so there, there is that. Some of them have what we call uh, are a political recall, which is what most people think of as a recall, where you could kick somebody out for any reason whatsoever. But in some states, they have a malfeasance standard where you have to meet a statutorily delineated reason for that recall. And that's they have many fewer recalls, unsurprisingly. Uh, and I guess the biggest thing and perhaps the biggest surprise to people is that generally recalls are not about partisan issues. They are policy based. They are for somebody, a school board fight, for somebody raising taxes, for somebody firing a city police chief. That's the, the, Interesting. Uh, the bread and butter of recalls are those. On the state level, and there haven't been that many recalls on the state level, they are much more partisan. But on the local level, where 99% of recalls take place, they are not generally a partisan issue. Yeah, I remember recently in San Francisco, you had the school board members recalled and also the DA recalled. And uh, I don't know that there's much of a Republican Party in San Francisco. So uh, obviously it was not as if the Republicans conned all the San Franciscans into all of a sudden uh, becoming members of the uh, John Birch Society. So uh, it's interesting the point that you make about local issues. I haven't read your book yet. I hope to pick it up one of these days. But your book is called Recall Elections from Alexander to Hamilton to Gavin Newsom. Obviously, there's been a whole revitalization of interest in Hamilton because of the musical. What does Alexander Hamilton have to do with recalls, if anything? So Alexander Hamilton spent days in the New York ratification debate arguing against a recall uh, for U.S. senators. So it was a real serious discussion. I mean, I, it seems like I threw Alexander Hamilton in there by act, you know, just for for uh, for show. But no, he really was very involved. And you see, there's a lot of discussion. He he was he had some really good comments. He said, you know, the recall shouldn't be used uh, for the capricious humors. They don't want elected officials to face the capricious humors of the voters. That's that's what he didn't want. Well, and that's, uh, I think, one of the big arguments against recall uh, today, which I'm going to ask you about. But just so folks know where you're, com- you're coming from on this, and uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Joshua Spivak. He runs the Recall Elections blog, a tremendous resource, which you should check out. Do you like recalls? Do you come at covering these recalls from the point of view that someone that thinks this is an important element of government? Or would you prefer that politicians got elected to a term, served their term, and that's it? Uh, Over time, I guess I've come a bit more in favor of them than I was. Uh, I'm still, um, I try to maintain a neutrality here. I try to to really look at it from a, a general point of view. I think the... 
The question with recalls is this. Uh, the, the, the basic question is, what is an elected official supposed to be? Is an elected official supposed to be a trustee, somebody that you appoint and you're, you're, you want that person in power because of their wisdom, because of their greater insight, even if you disagree with them on what they're doing? Or is an elected official a representative, a delegate who will vote for your positions and support you and support exactly the points you want them to support as an advocate. And I think over time, our, our entire government, our entire, like everybody's government has moved to that representative, that advocate model. That's really what we want. We're electing the person for that role. And so when that person switches, so to me, the best reason for recall, and this has happened a couple of times, is when somebody would switch parties in, in a legislature. You know, that is kind of a first order betrayal. Right. I voted for a Republican and now you're a Democrat. Right. I voted, you know, that really is something that maybe the person should be held accountable mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. or at well, least have a new vote. Yeah. So, and I remember, you know, I always gave a lot of credit to people that when they made the decision to switch parties, they resigned and then stood for election again under those under that new party. But that has certainly been the uh, exception in uh, in my lifetime anyway. Right. Um one of the arguments against recall is that people need a full term to see how those decisions are going to be made out. I remember in, um, I think it was 2002, one of the first things that Mike Bloomberg did as mayor of New York City was he pushed through the highest property tax increase in history. And there was not a more unpopular person in New York City than Mike Bloomberg at that time. If uh, New York, forgetting about recalling him, they would have arrested Mike Bloomberg if they could have. Then... Uh, Bloomberg said, look, you're going to see the wisdom that we had to do this. And sure enough, his view was make the unpopular decisions early in your term. This way you have three and a half years to kind of recover from that. And sure enough, in 2005, I guarantee you they would have recalled uh, Bloomberg two years prior. But he went on to win a reelection by an, an enormous margin. What about that idea, Joshua, that you need the fullness of a term to see how these decisions are going to uh, make out, kind of like what you were referring to what Hamilton said, so that the humors of the voter don't necessarily dictate the day-to-day actions of their representatives. Yeah, I think that's a very legitimate point, and I think it's very legitimate to hold that view. And it, it's really, there's no good answer. It's what should be the way to, to, have, to be in office, and how long should somebody be in office? Right. So even that is very random. And if you look at the Constitutional Convention, you see they weren't sure they went for different times. You have a president, you have a Congress for two years, you have a president for four, you have a senator for six. Nobody said, oh, you should serve like nobody came down from the mountain with a tablet that said your city councilman member must serve for four years. Right. There's no, no magic. More, number. Right. Right. And, and in fact, we've changed it. And so one of the things that was involved with the recall was this discussion of giving officials more time, but giving the voters this pullback. And you see this when Rhode Island adopted it in 1992. They gave the governor and other statewide officials four years. They moved the term from two years to four years, but then gave voters the recall power. So that can happen. And it, it really is uncertain. 
I guess one of the big things to think about with recall, and, and it's a little odd to say this, it's not that powerful and it's not that successful. I mean, it's very successful in terms of removing officials. If you get on the ballot, there's an excellent chance you're getting kicked out. And just so, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, they, like 60 percent, I'd say nationwide get kicked out and another 6 percent resign. So, really? you know, two thirds of officials, if it gets to the ballot, but getting to the ballot is very hard. That's where it fails. Most of the time it fails on that stage. If you don't know an exact number, I'll take a ballpark. How many states have some sort of recall process? OK, so 20 states have a recall for state level officials of some of some form, though Illinois just has the um, the governor and uh, Virginia has a very weird procedure called uh, recall trials. And it's not clear who's affected. Um, Eleven of those states have a political recall. Eight states have a malfeasance standard where you have to meet a statutorily delineated reason for it. So something like a crime. Additionally, and it's not clear, about another 20 states, so 40 or 41 states have recalled, allow recalls on some form on the local level. Hmm. So most states have some form of a recall law. One of the states that doesn't is New York. Yeah, I've noticed. (laughs) New York has talked about it. Another state, interestingly, is Indiana. And there was uh, the show Parks and Rec had a recall of the official who lives in Indiana, one of the few states that don't have a recall. Oh, interesting. My wife's a fan of that show. I'm going to have to tell her that and she'll uh, have to watch that episode with with new eyes. And um, I saw you had on your blog recent results from a, a, a sheriff recall election. How routinely do recall elections occur in this country? Is this something that occurs every year? Are there a dozen every year? Is there one every two years? Ballpark. How often do these recalls happen? Oh, we have like 100 a year. It depends, but about 100. During COVID, it went down, but there were many more attempts. Um, But somewhere 100, 110. I've counted 168 in a year, though there were also resignations to include in there. Um, So there's there's a lot more attempts than that. But yeah, generally, there's a, a fair number. And it's, you know, city council members, it's school board members, it's the people who run park services, not not the officials who are appointed, but like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have boards. Uh, so that that's where it is. It's it's on the local level. But voters are annoyed. Voters voters like to use this power. Oh, no, I, I, I don't blame them. Uh, One of the things, you know, Larry Elder was on the show earlier in the week, and one of the things that I took note of when he was running in the recall election in California is that, and I'm sure I took notice of it 20 years ago when Arnold Schwarzenegger was running in the recall election, is that in California, the politician that's being recalled, in both of those cases it was the governor, they are then not able to appear in the recall election. And if Elder, if um, they had voted to recall Newsom and then Elder won with a plurality of the vote, it, it created kind of a weird situation where you could actually have had more voters say they didn't want to recall Gavin Newsom. And yet 
uh, Larry Elder, even though he got fewer votes than essentially Newsom would have gotten had he been on the ballot, would have been elected. I'm wondering, that kind of quirk in California law, how common is that, Joshua? It is somewhat common. Um, so there's, there's a no, there, as I said, there's a lot of different laws. Uh, in some states, you are allowed to run in the replacement race. And some places, they've actually won the replacement race. So the official was, this happened in Massachusetts a couple of years ago. Uh, and then the, the mayor eventually went to jail afterwards. Um, he, he ran, he got wiped out in the recall, but five people ran in the replacement race and he replaced himself. Um, most places, some places, so Wisconsin had a, a big recall, they had just a, a a regular race afterwards. There was actually primaries and stuff, but the recall, there was no vote yes or no. It was just, okay, it's the, the seat is empty and you're running to replace your, in the new election. Uh, England has this. England adopted a recall in 2015, and that's their recall. The seat, the the position is empty, you could run to replay to in the new election. So it's just like a new election. Most places, though, have no replacement race. Um, they'll just have a automatic replacement model where there's a, a law that says how, it, how the replacement is supposed to go, and very frequently it's by appointment. So that could be a little tricky. Uh, so let's say you recall somebody in a city council Maybe that city council appoints the replacement. Um, you know, not 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 what happens in New York, but in some of these smaller towns, that's the case. So, what happens when they recall four members of the city council and mm-hmm. there's no quorum? That could be trouble. And, uh, but that happens um, very quickly, Joshua. If I wanted to recall Bob Menendez or uh, George Santos, I- I'd need a new amendment to the Constitution, right? Possibly. So, well. In some states, they do have a provision that says federal law should that federal officials should face recalls. Now, the the Supreme Court has never ruled on it, but I would assume they would rule against it based on the term limits decision. If you look at the term limits decision and you look at the dissent by Clarence Thomas, you see he specifically says recalls shouldn't be allowed. So even though he's saying, yes, you could put provisions like term limits, he also says not recalls. So I would assume that's what would happen. Now, New Jersey is a state that has this law, but the Supreme Court there held in a previous attempt to recall Menendez. So this isn't the first time he's faced voter anger. Uh, They said they could not recall him. He was not eligible. It's not clear what would have happened if they said yes. Mm, interesting. Would the Supreme Court have ruled differently. <laughs> um, but I think you would need a, a constitutional amendment. Um, and it would be interesting because would they resign? That happens very frequently. Somebody's facing a recall and they're like, okay, you got the signatures. I'm just getting out and then facing this. All right, Josh, we're going to have to end it there. I love the conversation. I hope you can uh, come back soon and we can talk about some other issues as well. I uh, had on my list for you presidential succession, but we're going to have to save that for another day. Okay, great. Yes, I'd love to be on again. Thank you, Joshua Spivak. You can check out his Recall Elections blog. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
It's The Other Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. This happens to be a birthday bumper music selection by uh, Lainey Spencer, who's celebrating her birthday today. But I, I can't tell you how often this song plays in my head. Uh, Bob Seger, you, you ever, maybe I'm the only one that does this, but you ever view your life as a movie? Right? I do all the time. I see my life as a movie. Uh, past, present, future, all the time. And th- there are so many moments where I'm looking at montages of my the, the motion picture version of the Frank Morano story. Frank Morano portrayed brilliantly by William Shatner. And this song is playing in the montage. So uh, I uh, love this song. Always have. Hey, uh, getting a lot of feedback on the, on the issue of uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, one person writes me, about Nikki Haley, uh, those aren't even five-inch heels, which would look more like the shoes a stripper would wear. Ammunition? Maybe she plans on pounding the podium at the UN like another Nikki did. And then uh, we had a female listener that wrote me, uh, from a woman's point of view, she could have used protection instead of ammunition or even weapon. When a woman is threatened, she can use the heel of her shoe to fight off an attacker. See, that makes sense. Ammunition to me doesn't make sense. Weapon makes sense. Ammunition eh, doesn't make as much sense to me. Um, a rough, rough veterinary visit we had this week. Our cat Bathsheba, who is uh, undergoing chemotherapy, is uh, not doing well. She's lost more weight. Her anemia has gotten worse. And her numbers across the board are uh, very poor. So I'm not sure what the future holds for Bathsheba, but the her oncologist is altering her chemotherapy cocktail a bit. Hopefully uh, that yields different results in the uh, weeks and months to come. But uh, but we'll see. It's her birthday next week. I'm not sure how old she's going to be. I think she's going to be 11, maybe around there. Around, and it's an estimated age because my wife found her on the uh, on the street many years ago but uh wishing her the best that's our favorite cat uh by far so i hate to see her suffering so much and uh, she is you could tell she is not herself you know she uh, doesn't have much of an appetite even though we're giving her this appetite stimulant and she has difficulty kind of jumping up and down and running around she's still just as affectionate ever but uh not sure i think it's uh, getting she might be on the eighth of her nine lives at this point we'll see until then Keep asking questions.